Hey kids, what time is it? Time for another episode of Brio TV, the podcast. I'm your host, Bill Brio. Today's show is brought to you by three terrific sponsors, Hollywood Suite, Super Channel, and CTV. My next guest won a Stanley Cup ring for every finger, and that's counting his thumbs. He won eight cups as a star defenseman on the Montreal Canadiens and two more as general manager of that same team. If that wasn't impressive enough, he played on Team Canada in 1972 in the legendary Summit Series against the Soviet Union. And in the games where he played, Canada never lost. That's right. He went four wins and one tie. And as you'll hear, he should have played and helped them win one other game. I'm talking, of course, about Serge Savard, he of the Savardian Spinorama. We talked about Summit 72, the four-part CBC docuseries premiering Wednesday, September 14 on CBC and airing over the next consecutive Wednesday nights on CBC and CBC Gem. So that'll be four Wednesdays in a row. Our conversation took place just days ago over Zoom. And as we were setting up, Monsieur Savard turned his camera around to show me a colorful painting of Team Canada with him right in the middle of the hockey action. It was right in the wall behind him. Uh, he was wearing, however, an unfamiliar number. And, uh, well, that's where we can pick up this conversation. Where did you get that, sir? Uh, that's, that's, uh, it, it's a friend of mine, a, a painter that uh, did that for me at my birthday a few years back. It's uh, his name is Bono, and uh, Jimmy Bono. He played a little bit. His son played a little bit in the National Hockey League, but he played for our junior club in Charlottetown for a couple of years. Oh, that's beautiful. That's a real keepsake. <laughs> yeah. um, now, looking at that picture, remind me: Did you not wear number eighteen? I wore twenty-three and seventy-two. See, I, I. I I had forgotten that. That's fascinating. Uh, who, well, they went. They, they went by seniority. Uh, you see, Anderson uh, got nineteen, and Anderson and Rattel had nineteen with their respective team. But the nineteen went to Anderson because of seniority, and Rattel took eighteen. So true. they they gave me twenty three. It didn't really matter at that time, but. Uh, it's not uh, a number that I, I did really like at that time, but uh, no problem. Yeah. Number means nothing. Well, it, it seemed to work for you. I, I understand that of uh, of all the players, uh, that the games that you played with Team Canada in 1972, you never lost. Is that correct? This is correct. Wow. Uh, wow. <laughs> uh, well, it, it's only because... Uh, Harrison didn't decide to dress only five defensemen in the first game. Right. And, 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 and that's why we lost so badly because, uh, you know, people, especially the defense were pretty tired after the second period. And yeah, no kidding. So, so because we were so confident and, you know, uh, uh, Harry had a meeting with the players before the series and he said, everybody will play at least one game. So, so that's how confident everybody was. Right. Yeah. It's a fascinating story. I was, I'm 65. So I was 15 and watching with uh, five of my friends in my parents' living room. And uh, on September 28th, and we, we nearly peeled all the paint off the ceiling of that room uh, with 34 seconds left. It was unforgettable. And uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's uh it's amazing wherever I go, you know, people remember us. At least the people that people that were born after nineteen eighty, they all remember where they were, they remember exactly what happened that day. They all say, uh, we were at school, the the, the teacher brought the, the television sets in the in the classroom, yeah. uh, whether they didn't go to school, uh, you know. Canada was, uh, we were 22 million in 1972, and it's 16 million watched the last game. Wow. Yeah, so, it's incredible. So, 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 
you know, it, it's it's about everybody when you when you really think about it. It sure is. You could hear a pin drop. Uh, my parents lived on Dundas Street in Toronto, and you could look up and down the entire street. You couldn't see anyone. They were all in watching the game. Um, it's a great uh, privilege to speak with you. Uh, uh, very exciting for me. Thank you for doing this. And um, we're, what we're talking about, I'm, I'm very curious. How do you explain to young Canadians now the importance uh, of of this series, how this series just gripped all of Canada in 1972? Well, first of all, uh, uh, all the I was the first time that the pro athletes were permitted to play, not in the Olympics, but but play against a team that claimed they were amateur. Right. Uh, 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 and you have to put hockey in context in those years because hockey was a regional sports. And uh, 99, 98% of the players in the National Hockey League were all Canadians. And hockey was really Canada, USSR. Uh, and you had those two powerhouse meeting for the world champion. And, and, and you had, you know, the communist country at that time. The communist country was at, at its best. Uh, uh, and 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 we got there, uh, and and politics got involved because you know you you had the communist systems that were they want to tell the world they want the world to see that we have the best system, we produce the best athletes, uh, uh, and on our side when when we got to Russia, we said well you know without wanting to do that, but we got we got caught into a political affair right and we said well you know wait a minute we invented that game not you guys and it's our game so i this thing will never happen again today hockey is is worldwide it's not the original sports anymore in 1972 we didn't have any no european in the national hockey league no russian in the national hockey league and, and and in USA, they were just starting producing players. That was the beginning of. So, I think this is the most important series uh, uh, in the history of hockey. And hockey started to change then. Yeah, sure did. You know, you know when we when we came back, I remember Scotty Bowman started to do things differently, and and uh, Scotty. You know, we we start to question ourselves. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe we don't do hundred percent the right thing. Maybe there's another way to train. Maybe there's another way to see things. Right, uh, and that's where all the big changes starts. I know. I've watched the first two episodes of the documentary Summit Seventy Two that CBC is showing starting Wednesday, September fourteenth, and. Um, I, I was interested. Uh, Phil Esposito mentioned that that year was the first year he did not work that in the summer up uh, in the mines. I think as a truck driver. Um, what was your routine? Did you have summer jobs uh, when you were? Well, uh, that was the beginning of the hockey school. A lot, a lot of guys uh, like Ivan, the Esposito brother, they had hockey schools and, and uh, right. But when I started in the National Hockey League in '67, my salary was ten thousand five hundred. Wow. And uh, in those days, everybody was working in the summer. Right. You know, the summer were a little bit longer. It's a different game now because the season is so long, and 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 the players has to report in shape. In my time, we didn't do much physically in the summer. We 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 stay active. We all had jobs, and when training camp starts, the training camps was about four or five weeks, and the camps were to get in shape. Did you have a hockey school, Serge? Not me, not me, mm-hmm. not me. But I remember when we 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 started that series in '72. A lot of players say, "Well, I'm not sure if I'm going because I have this to do, that to do." So, guy like Phil and Ivan and a couple of guys. They miss uh, a couple days at training camp because of their hockey schools. Uh, you know, they were involved in the hockey school. So, right. When, when I was a youngster uh, in the 60s, 
I went to Jim Pappen's Hockey and Horses, which was a, a camp that he had. Uh, and uh, the big thrill was we were going to meet this young new player named Bobby Orr. And I remember that the station wagon pulled up and this uh, guy got out of the car on crutches. I couldn't believe it already, you know, uh, but uh, that was my memory of being at a, a one of these day camps. It was kind of a lark. Which day? Which year would that be? Well, it must have been uh, after sixty-seven, sixty-eight, maybe. Yeah, does that yeah. sound about right? Now you were the Calder Trophy. You won the Rookie of the Year in your first season, didn't you? No, no. no? I, oh, no! I uh, I won the uh, Countess My Trophy in sixty-nine. That's 69. right. Well, yeah, yeah, incredible. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm pretty proud of that, and every every time I meet. Bobby Orr, and I and I asked him. I says, Bobby, do you know the first defenseman that ever won the Connor Smith Trophy? <laughs> he says, oh, I've got to wait. <laughs> it's surprising that Doug Harvey never won one. I guess, right? Well, the uh, the uh, the Connor Smith Trophies start, uh, uh, I think, in '66. Oh, okay. There you go. That's why. Yeah. Yeah, uh, well, I'm not good. sure if five or '66, but around that. Yeah, uh, you've won. Let me get this straight. I think eight Stanley Cups as a player, two more as a general manager, making it ten. Is that correct? Yeah. Wow, that's like one less than the entire history of the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> so, congratulations. Um, what? How does the Team Canada victory fit into your list of thrills? Then, I mean, you've had so many triumphs. Uh, was it a unique win for you? Well, it's, uh, you know, I'm asked that question many times, and uh, I certainly don't want to take anything away from winning a Stanley Cup because I remember winning the my first Stanley Cup, and uh, I thought there was nothing nicer than that in the world. There was not a, another feeling like that in the world. Yeah. You know, you start as a youngsters and you work you all your way up, and, and the goal is to win the Stanley Cup. But but this thing is pretty unique, and uh, and and if you ask uh, any players, and I'm sure, mo- mo- probably all of them will tell you, it's probably it's probably their best moment in in, in hockey. Yeah, it, it, that was so unique. You know, to me, uh, I, I hate to compare, but uh, I'm I'm glad I have both. Uh, Team Canada seventy two and a Stanley Cup. No kidding. Um, the uh, that final game that you the team came back from two goals down in the third period to win. Uh, that must have been an, an unbelievable thrill at the end of that game. Do you remember the the celebration and how how things were? Well, I I, I was on the ice when 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 uh, Anderson scored and. You know, and and actually, I was so happy, and the game wasn't over. And I yeah. turn around, and there's, there's Ken Dryden. You know, Ken Dryden never came out of his crest, uh, of his gold crease when 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 we won even Stanley Cup. And all of a sudden, the game is not over, and and Dryden is right in front of Tracyak and, and <laughs> celebrating with us, you know. Wow. So, so I says to myself, well, it must have been important, you know, <laughs> to have such an emotion from Ken Dryden. Was that a nervous 34 seconds? Well, I, uh, I remember on the bench and Harry says make sure we don't give any two on one and uh, and he, he, he you know the Bobby Clark Bobby Clark uh, t- uh, line with Ronnie Ellis uh, and Paul Anderson you you want to send them back on the ice uh, because they were the defensive line really even if he fit Paul score all those goals yeah and uh, and Paul says I can't go I'm I'm dead. I I just can go. So that that's what I remember the most, and uh, and probably probably the, the the longest 34 seconds in my life. <laughs> I guess so. But wow. we were we were so happy after that, and uh, and uh, and we came back. You know, we forgot that nobody had the idea. I never thought of grabbing the puck. You know, after that goal, right? Uh, and 
what I remember, we all came back in the dressing room and, and nobody was yelling and jumping. Everybody sat down. Wow. Wow, and, really? And, and, and relaxed for a couple of minutes and before anybody walks in the room. And we were so happy, so proud. And it was hard to explain, but it was very, very different reaction. I guess so. Is it true that uh, Pat Stapleton grabbed the puck and kept it all those years, do you think? I I, I doubt it very much. Really? Uh, wow, okay. He, he claimed that. You know, we we didn't care about those things in those right. days. Right. You know, like, like, like Paul Anderson gave his jersey to, to the trainer. Wow. And the trainer sold that jersey, I believe, for ten grand, and Joe? then the guy, the guy that bought it for ten grand, sold it for one point two million. Oh no! Wow! So, wow! What I'm telling you, in those days, we didn't really care about all those things. Was that Joe Scro? He would have given it to. Uh, I, I'm not sure. Okay, amazing! All that money for that jersey. Well, I can see that today for sure. Um, who was the hardest player to stop on the on the Russians on the Soviet team? Would that have been uh, Karlamov? I, I I think so. Uh, Yakushev was had a great series, and uh, as a defenseman, it's it's really tough to play against good centermen. Yeah. Uh, because they sometimes they, they, they slow down at the blue one they gain the blue line and and you have to worry about the wingers but but that Arlamov at 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 thunder speed he he uh, he, he uh, his speed remind me a little bit of Cornway and uh, and you had to watch with those guys you know I hate to play against them now without the red line because. The, the, you know, when we had the red line, you have to stop. You don't want to make a two-line pass. But right. that doesn't count today. And uh, This guy would be dynamite in those roles today. He was so quick. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, they're both in the Hockey Hall of Fame, by the way. Yeah, well, and I'm the one that introduced. I was a member of that committee, and I'm the one that introduced, uh, that presented Parliament. Wonderful. And, and he got elected on the first ballot. Don't spin a rama away. We'll be back with Serge Savard right after this short message. <laughs> Get ready for a whole lot of drama coming your way this month on Super Channel. Season 2 of the HBO Max original documentary reality series, House of Ho, is available now on Super Channel Fuse. House of Ho chronicles the lavish lifestyle, strong family values, and multi-generational clash of the Ho family, a wealthy Vietnamese-American family in Houston who built a multi-million dollar empire. In this unique and wildly entertaining reality series, power struggles and family drama collide as Bin and Hugh, immigrants who proudly achieve the American dream, attempt to control the lives of their adult children, Washington and Judy, who find themselves under constant pressure to live up to their parents' impossible expectations. New episodes air every Sunday, with all of Season 1 currently available on demand. Super Channel is available via most cable providers right across Canada, as well as streaming on Amazon Prime Video Channels and Apple TV+. And we're back with Team Canada hero, Serge Savard. Why, uh, Serge, why isn't Paul Henderson in the Hockey Hall of Fame? Well, I uh, the, the the main reason he doesn't have the stats to be in the Hall of Fame, but personally, uh, I I I introduced him to the Hall of Fame back last year as a member of that committee. Uh, he didn't get in. Uh, hopefully, he'll get in this year. That'd this be year great. Yeah, would be. And, and I, personally, I, I you know I think he deserved to be in uh, even. 
if it's only because he scored the most important goal in, in, in hockey history. Yeah, no, I feel the same way. Um, you being on defense and everything, you had a great advantage on this. Uh, we saw how talented the Russians were offensively, but talk about how they played defense. Did you... Uh, did they play differently as a unit? What what was it that you observed from them did, compared to how defense was played in the NHL at that time? Well, they uh, they were they were uh, you know they were playing different type of hockey, and we learned from them a lot because those guys, you know, we used to go, we used to cross the blue line, and the main play, if you didn't know what to do, you just throw the puck in the other zone. And those guys, they wouldn't do that. They would bring it back. They would come back in their zone, and 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 it was all puck possession. And uh, we 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 see our we see our players doing that on power play now. You know, power play they all they go back in their zone and they come back. Oh. And they were ahead of their time. They they they, they were first of all they, they train eleven months a year, and Did- uh, and those days not not us, but that's what we're doing now. We're training. We're training eleven months uh, a year now. It may be twelve. Well, you mentioned Scotty Bowman was uh, ahead of the curve. Maybe on that, Would, did you notice a, a grand change in uh, the off seasoning and the training camps right away, uh, right after seventy two, or did it? Yeah, it, it really starts. Uh, uh, I know Scotty started to do things different right after that, and, and we start. That was the beginning of us starting to train off ice you know basically we spend an hour and a half two hours a day on the ice uh, and and didn't do much off ice uh i i, I did a little bit because i i uh, i i love running but uh, i like i ran a mile every day in the summer but uh, wow. I, I was one of the exception and only because i love to do it and, but we we didn't have any written program for us, and 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 the summer was much longer right. than is now. Yeah, that's true. Um, and um, you uh, as a player, I, I read in uh, uh, Scott Morrison's book on the the series that um, you got injured, that you had a hairline fracture. Uh, I guess partway midway through the series, how did that happen, and how were you able to recover to play the the last games in Russia? Well, I got, I got hurt the next day after the game in Winnipeg. We oh. died in Winnipeg, and the next day at the practice before before we flew to Vancouver. Yeah, I, I, it's a slap shot from Red Berenson and hit me right on the ankle. Oh. Uh, so I, I I kept playing the whole practice and and uh, got off, took my shower and and we took the plane for Vancouver. But when we arrived in Vancouver, I couldn't walk. You know, with that high altitude, my my ankle it was about that big, and and uh, and I went to directly to the hospital. Got I got off in wheelchair, really. And, wow. Went to the hospital and they say, "Well, I, we see something." But that, so they shipped me back to Montreal. So I was not there for the for the game in morning in Vancouver. And the next day, here the doctor found an airline fracture, which isn't bad. So 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 uh, I went back in Europe with the team, and I start skating in Europe with the team. I did not play the two games in Sweden. Uh, that I made one of the biggest mistakes of my career. Uh, Harrison then came to see me and asked me if I was ready. That was before the fifth game in Moscow. And uh, and I told him, I'm ready to play. I'm not 100%, but I'm ready to play. And he did not dress me. I should never said that. I should say, I'm ready. Really? You felt ready yeah. then? Wow. Uh, yeah! Wow. Well, you that know, might have made a that might little, have been a difference. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, I don't know, but uh, the 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 fifth game that's one game we should never lose. We were ahead by two goals in the third right. period. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, incredible. Uh, then you played the last three games, did you? Yes. Wow. Uh, it didn't hurt. Must have hurt like hell. 
No, airline fracture. I was uh, I was feeling it a little bit, but as soon as I after warm up, I was good. Wow. Um, have you seen this documentary series? I saw. They sent me only the first one. Okay. I saw the first one. Yeah. I saw the first two episodes. There's one point where, and you you mentioned this earlier. You talk about the politics of the time, the the capitalism versus communism, and you made the mention. You made you commented that this really wasn't why you were there. That this wasn't your favorite part of this event. Uh, that it was the p- political part of it. Uh, talk a little bit more about your feelings about that. Well, like I mentioned earlier to you that, you know, for us, nobody was there for politics. Nobody was there to, 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 to evaluate a system and another system. And, and when you get to that ring and, and you have Brezhnev five rows behind Tretiak, you know, you say, well, this something special. And, and, and for us, that was really the we we heard about communism and uh, they were the bad guy. We were the good guy, <laughs> <laughs> but but those people, you know, we we felt going there. We felt sorry for those people down there. Yeah. You know, we had we had soldier at, at, at the door of the hotel, like <clears throat> a regular person, a Russian was not allowed to come in the building was not allowed to see what it looks like in, in the Western world. And we, we really felt sorry for them. And, and we, we, we thought that we were very happy to be in Canada, you know, to be in that type of a country. Well, that was no, sorry. There's great footage in the documentary of the Russians between the, well, they were in Toronto going up and down Young Street and going into the Sam the Record Man and buying records and just how much the minds were blown by how free the society was and how open it seemed. They really, and then I guess you would have seen the uh, opposite when you were in, in, in Russia, right? Well, it's, you know, it's like they take away your liberty. You know, you, you, you walk in the hotel, you have to give back your passport. You have to give back your key, your room key, when when at the elevator was it was a lady at the elevator and they give you back your key when you come back, you know it's it, it's for us that was the first time we see a control like that. No kidding, is so, it? Tr- uh, I, no, sorry, sir, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, no, that's okay. Go ahead. Uh, uh, is it true? We, we heard all these stories about. Frank Mahovlich felt his room had been bugged, that there was microphones in the chandelier or something. <laughs> he was your teammate in Montreal, of course, then. Uh, did you did you feel that the, that you guys were being uh, spied upon? Is it true that they, somebody stole all your stakes, things like that? Well, you know, like I mentioned before, we felt sorry for those people. They didn't have anything. Yeah. Uh, so... We we didn't run out of steaks. We didn't run out of uh, Coca Cola. We didn't run out of beer. Uh, uh, maybe maybe they stole the odd steaks in the kitchen, uh, which is normal. It could happen here too, you know. Yeah. And and whether we were bugged or not, we'll never know because I didn't see anything. And uh, and uh, a lot of guys said they received calls in the middle of the night. It could happen here too, you know. I, 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 I don't recall having a call in the middle of the night. Maybe some did. Yeah. Uh, the phone system was not like it is today. That's true. So, so, so uh, the bottom line, you know, we did pretty well down there. We won the last three games on a big surface, and, and uh, yeah, that was that. What was that like? Was it quite an adjustment as a defenseman, especially to? Uh, cover such a wide rink well i personally uh i like it better because i had i had more room to 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 work with uh it's it's you know it, it would be a, a guy like bobby or let's say he was very versatile very quick and it would have been a better rink for him wow you know yeah imagine it, yeah if you're uh if you're 
you know, if you're versatile and, and very mobile, it gives you more room. Uh, it doesn't give you room to hide behind the net. You have to be on the move all the time. Yeah. So, so I, I, if I had my say, all those new building in the National Hockey League would be Olympic size. Wow, interesting. That's interesting. Good for you. Um, well, it must have been a thrill. Now, were you one of the ones who were lucky to take part in reunions? Did you go back to Moscow at any point? I did in, in 2002. What was that, that was, like? That was a commercial mission from the government with Mr. Chrétien. I was there uh, with Frank Mahalitz, Rod Sealing, and Ivan Cornoyer, and uh, we had we had dinner at the Kremlin. We had uh, we wow. met we met Putin for for an hour. I thought he was a nice guy then. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we talked with him. We were with him uh, for about an hour with John Chrétien and uh, and an interpreter, and uh, he's a he's a great hockey fan. Yeah. The great hockey fans, but uh, no, I did not go back after that. Mm. Must have been uh, quite a thrill to do that to see these guys. Did you become friends with any? Were you, did you maintain any kind of correspondence with some of the Russians that you played against? Well, I I met Tracyak uh, many times here in Canada, and I met Yakushev a couple times. Uh, and the last time I met Yakushev was. Uh, was at the Hall of Fame when he was uh, uh, inducted the Hockey Hall of Fame, and yeah. you know, even if we don't see very often, when we meet, you know, we're like brothers. Nice, you know? and and those guys don't think they lost the series. You know, they they still talk about that. See, we we when we talk about that series, we talk about the winner. We won for them. They didn't lose, and and maybe they're right. You know, this thing was was great for hockey. Yeah, it sure was, uh, and they proved they could skate uh, man for man with NHLers. Uh, must have been intimidating for them at the beginning, though. Uh, you're uh, very tall, um, and Pete Mahovlich. The team Canada must have seemed a lot taller than the Russian players, right? Uh, yeah, well, they, uh, Yakushev was probably 6'3". Yakushev was oh, wow. more billable. And, uh, yeah. I think size-wise, uh, I don't think. Maybe, maybe overall we were a little bit taller than them, but uh, you never noticed that really. Okay. Uh, didn't really matter. You know, it's the speed that matter. True. Um, by the time you saw Trechak uh, four times in Canada – then you got to Russia. Uh, did the team start to see any weaknesses? Do you think? And and if so, who might have pointed them out? Well, obviously, uh, we didn't have the really good scouting report before the series, and right. uh, but but, but uh, we sent two scouts in there, and they were only a week down there, so. <coughs> And they say they say Tracek the game they saw Tracek give seven goals that game and maybe it was done on purpose maybe and and they came back and they say well those guys uh, they're, they're they're no good in the net and uh, they don't shoot the puck very well <laughs> so that that's you know it's funny because I, I I watched the first episode and and after we scored those two quick goals in Montreal and. And and Trechak said in the documentary, maybe we we made a mistake by coming here. <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it it certainly changed. My God, I remember watching that with my dad, and he played hockey uh, when he was in the Canadian Army, and he was so looking forward to Canada giving them a big thumping, and I never seen him so upset at the end of that game. It worked yeah. out though, but wow, it was such a shock. Um, uh, and, and talk a bit about Phil Esposito. I mean, it, it looks like he just really put the team on his back, uh, especially, uh, you know, that speech he made. You were in, um, and you were saying in Vancouver, you weren't there at that game. Did you watch it on TV? Did you see Phil Esposito's speech? Because a lot of the other players did not. Right? I, 
we saw it uh, at the news afterward. Even I was flying. I was in the air during the oh, game. Oh, okay. Wow. But here the pilot give us the 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 the, 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 the score, you know. So <laughs> wow. <laughs> but but they, even talking to the players, nobody heard Phil's speech. They were in the dressing room. You know, all the players were in their dressing room, so they didn't hear uh, his, his speech. Uh, but but you know, I I. I grew up, you know, I, I never liked Phil as a Bruins, you know. We, we, Montreal here, we played the Bruins almost every year, but every year we had to feed. They were in our division and, right. and faced them in the playoffs. And and sometimes with the expansion year in 67, 68, you know, the semifinals against the Bruins was really the finals because the finals was against the St. Louis Blues and, and, and didn't right. really – didn't really like Phil Esposito and uh, we didn't uh, and Bobby Clark as well and uh, but 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 in those days you know we 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 didn't talk to the opponent you know and it was really the first time uh, that we we sat for a month for a month and a half beside Clark and Phil and 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 to me when I look back at it it was probably Phil best moment in his career. He, 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 he was outstanding. He was a great leader during that series, and, uh, and 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 things were different after. We used to say hello during warm up, you know, and we never look at each other before. Wow, amazing! So, so Changed it was, everything. It was a different time. Um, I wanted to ask finally, just uh, the Fred Shiro, who coached the Flyers, of course. He, uh, I think, he said once that uh, if you win today, we walk together forever. He told his players, the Flyers, you must. Do you feel that way about the '72 team? Well, we're we're we're, we're you know what's about that team. See, we talk about that team more today than we did ten years after and twenty years after. Yeah. We have- more about that team uh, and the players we 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 get together uh, you know i met uh, i met uh, at my golf tournament on the 16th of august like uh, kenny was there uh, ivan uh, Guy Lapointe, and peter mahavlich marcel dion we were six of team canada wow seven, and it's something special still after 50 years Oh, there must be. There must be. That's incredible. Well, listen, uh, Mr. Savard, uh, thank you so much for so many wonderful memories, uh, all those great Canadian teams, uh, and uh, just this, the thrills of Team Canada. It's a real pleasure speaking with you, and uh, I appreciate your time. You must have so many people asking for your memories on Team Canada uh, this week, so I appreciate you making a little bit of time for me. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you very much. And uh, well, everybody, we've been doing a lot of interviews. We have a lot of demands, and uh, I, I, I think it's going to be uh, like that uh, all the way to the, the whole month. But don't forget to try the 1972 beer. We just got a oh, beer. Oh, wait a minute! What, tell a, me about this. Two fifty eighth anniversary. Oh, that's fantastic! It's called 1972. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 you got you got our crest, the flag on the beer. That's it's, fantastic. It's out this week. Well, uh, they do they put it in the little stubby bottles? They should have it the, the yeah. same those For bottles both. that they had back then, right? That's funny. Well, uh, I will definitely uh, look into that. Thank you again for your time and uh, appreciate everything you've done uh, hockey wise. It's a great, great story. So, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. September has traditionally marked the beginning of a new fall TV season. On CTV, you can get into it starting September 19th as a mix of new and returning shows join their lineup. Among the new dramas is The Rookie Feds, which begins September 27th. 
You know The Rookie, starring Nathan Fillion? Well, this is a new extension of that franchise, with one of my favorites, Nisi Nash, starring as a late-in-life FBI recruit. East New York, which begins October 2nd, stars Amanda Warren as a new police squad boss with the great Jimmy Smiths in support. And Alaska Daily stars Hilary Swank as a reporter looking to make a fresh start at a northern newspaper. It begins October 6th. Returning favorites include last season's hottest rookie, The Cleaning Lady, who begins mopping up on September 19th. The Rookie and La Brea both return at the end of September, with The Good Doctor scrubbing up October 3rd. And good old Grey's Anatomy is also back for a 97th season, October 6th. Don't miss the return of Canadian originals Children Ruin Everything, September 19th, plus award-winning hospital drama Transplant, September 23rd. See them all on CTV or stream them on demand at ctv.ca and the CTV app. Now the swan, it floated on the English river. Ah, the rose of high romance, it opened wide. My guest now is uh, somebody I'm really anxious to talk to. He's got a wonderful project uh, uh, called The Summit 72. It's a documentary, four parts, on the great Canada-USSR uh, hockey series. And uh, But he's also a musician, a journalist, and author. He's written some great books on hockey. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Dave Bedini. Dave, thank you so much for taking some time. Hey, pleasure, Bill. Anytime. Uh, listen, I've seen the first two parts of the documentary and loved it. Uh, and uh, I'm old enough to have watched it as a teenager originally. Uh, sat with my friends in Etobicoke, uh, six of us in my parents' house. And uh, on September 28, we did some damage to their uh, living room uh, <laughs> with 34 seconds left. Uh, but uh, uh, tell me, uh, where were you in 72? Well, you know, ironically, I was in Etobicoke as well, who I, which is where I grew up. Yeah, me um, too. Yeah, well, Kipling and Dixon area. I was at Westway Public School and um, nine years old, and they wheeled in the, the, the giant television on the big sticks. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm sure... Uh, a librarian or AV assistant, because um, they would have come from the library, uh, you know, pushed it across the floor and, and uh, we sat in darkness and not all of us were, you know, um, uh, galvanized in rapt attention. Uh, you know, for some kids, it was just kind of an excuse to be an idiot and run around, run around right. the gym. Sure. Um, but, but for a bunch of us, yeah, we were right in there and super excited to see how it would play out. Well, um, I'm older. I, we, I was 15 at the time, and so we were uh, focused quite intent on it. And in fact, the school, I was going to Michael Power High School at the time. Yeah. They um, gave up. They literally let everybody stay home. And so <laughs> the eighth game, uh, we were uh, all uh, somewhere else. But yeah, previous games, definitely the TV was wheeled in. Some of us had radios uh, with wires up our sleeves with speakers and all kinds of stuff. Um, your series really captures that wonderfully well. Did um, you know, and I love that it, it speaks beyond hockey. Uh, you seem to have taken a real Ken Burns approach to telling this story. Uh, did you have a blueprint? How did you go about uh, coming up with uh, how that was made? I appreciate the Ken Burns reference. That's obviously the gold standard when it comes to docs and certainly sports docs, but um yeah, I know. I think we wanted to make a, a film that, you know, could exist in the canon of, you know, 2022 films that wasn't going to be too much of a nostalgia trip. Um, you know, the filmmaking had to have a certain uh, velocity to it, I suppose. And, um, you know, style that really, um, uh, you know, was uh, captured, you know, one's imagination and attention. And we didn't want it to be just talking head highlight talking at highlight talking at highlight um and you know a lot of the cultural societal um political 
um, you know, aspects, components of the, of that month, of that, of, of that event. Um, you know, it was important to, 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 to lean on those as well so that we weren't just following the puck. That's kind of one thing we always sort of said when making it, you know, is how closely do we have to follow the puck? And I think we decided, you know, decided in the end we didn't have to follow it too closely. You know, the goals are are all in there and stuff. And in fact, like a, a lot of the soup, a lot of sixteen millimeter archival stuff that we found, you know, the most interesting um, parts were shot off the ice. Right? It, they weren't. They were of the crowd. They were of you know the scene setting. Um, it, you know, at the bench, behind the bench. It wasn't necessarily um, what was happening on the ice. So. We wanted to to lean in a little bit of a different direction when telling the story. Well, I want to ask specifically about the 16 millimeter. I actually collect 16 millimeter. I've got a basement full of it, and I've got a bunch of Chetwin films from the 60s and 70s of Stanley Cup victories by Toronto, believe it or not, and uh, Montreal and other teams. Um, and uh, I loved the footage that you showed in the special uh, in the documentary. You know, you can see the video from the series, but the film uh, you're able to restore. Uh, I understand it's all in 4K now, and it just looks fantastic. It really well, glows. It's great. Well, that's great, Bill. And, you know, for film nerds like yourself, yeah, if, yeah. if I may, yes, um, it's, uh, yeah. it's, um, it's pretty compelling on that level for sure. And it's great to see the 16 mil, you know, you know, uh, washed into the 5k and it was, it was really great fun to restore that. And honestly, you know, we had what we thought was the mother load. I think it was 60 reels, um, originally. And then we would get calls from the hall of fame. Um, you know, once every couple of weeks that would say, that would tell us, Oh, we found another, another dozen reels. Wow. So we really had more that, that, than we could use. And also, when you get to episode three, when we're in Russia, um, we were able to use, we would put a call out at, at one point for, um, uh, fans who had gone to, 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 to Russia for the event. Um, we put a call out for, you know, super eight, um, home movies oh, of fantastic. their travels. Yeah. So we got a bunch of that. In fact, we, um, asked the players and Red Berenson, God, you know, God bless him said, I think, yeah, I, I had a camera. And I think I took a film. And so his wife um, spent, you know, a couple of days in the basement going through old boxes. Wow. And she found the film that Red made. But but not only that, uh, once we searched the photo archive, we actually have a, a photo that we included in the episode of Red with the with the Super 8 camera. Oh, fantastic. So, yeah, no. So there's a lot of great, you know, a, a lot of great cinematic kind of minutiae there that that found its way into the aesthetic of the of the piece oh it adds so much you got so you got footage of everything except the kgb wiring up the microphones and the chandeliers <laughs> i guess that's uh yeah well you know that's an apocryphal story unfortunately. i know i know i know right. it's a funny yeah. one though um, yeah. well that's cool man i mean I, I love all of that it looks great and that's so important you're making a visual story um but you talked about uh mapping this out and getting into all kinds of other cultural references and i really enjoyed in the first two parts i know you touched on uh well there's an interview with uh mr suban the father of uh, pk and his other brothers uh canada of course was it's a multicultural country but not as much in 1972 and it was wonderful to illuminate what this series meant to new canadians and he did a lovely job uh, with that yeah it was a unifying you know to a point it was a unifying event for sure mm -hmm. and a lot of people expressed to us that you know they found that they were able to fit in really by you know by um cheering for the team and just by being involved and swept into the excitement ultimately i mean it wasn't you know it was exciting in the beginning until it wasn't and then it got exciting again for canadian fans in russia when the team started to come back but yeah i know and i think we do listen in a country as young as ours um and, and in, a, in an evolving country and certainly in 72 you could probably you know count on one hand those you know those broad um, coast to coast, coast unifying moments. And I think it was Gretzky. Someone asked him, it was pointed out to Gretzky that more people had watched game eight 
of the 72 series than had watched the moon landing. And that's true. And Gretzky wow. said, well, it was Gretzky said, well, it was more important, <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, it shows you like, you know, but you mentioned earlier, just uh, setting up the question about the, you know, visual nature of, of the series. And, and we, we were, we didn't want to forget, um, you know, uh, uh, making this um, film uh, uh, both, uh, both a visual and, and an oral um, you know, uh, yeah. treat for people too. So music and score and, and texture, um, audio texture was, was important too. Uh, and just to make it an all round kind of cinematic effort, as opposed to, well, I, you know, I'm sure you were very involved in that end, of course. And, uh, I love the music, uh, <laughs> in the, in the first two episodes, you hear triumph and, uh, Getty Lee and Rush and uh, even a little Leonard Cohen, uh, uh, were these all uh, specific, uh, songs that you sourced was there anything that you wanted and didn't get and uh how did you go about obtaining all that great music you know we were lucky that that that, that there was you know everything we wanted um uh everything we asked for we got nice. it was it but 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 the trader the leonard cohen um track from recent yeah. songs was uh that was an effort you know i i i originally we originally reached out um uh, to his uh, his publishers and and, and record company and, and really estate to um, to secure the rights and they they denied the rights uh, uh, to us huh? uh, originally. I put a call out on Twitter um, to ask for a contact for Adam uh, Leonard's Leonard's son, mm-hmm. and I received a, an email from Jake Gold, tragically hip and Gord Downey's manager yeah, and yeah. old friend of mine, and Jake yeah. said. Jake said, here's the guy you got to talk to. So he put me in touch with Merck Mercatus, who's the, um, uh, the driving force behind hypnosis songs and they own the LC catalog. And so I sent Merck a note and, uh, he wrote me back to say that he has, he had vivid memories of his grandmother throwing the slipper at the TV screen after, uh, the buzzer sounded to end game one in Montreal forum. Right. She lived in Montreal. They were a Montreal family. So he said, so he said, you know, with those memories and knowing that we were doing, he was more than happy to grant us permission. So oh, fantastic. yeah, I was thrilled, you know, that we were able to, to get that, but yeah, you know, in the, in the, in, in, in episode four, we, we really, um made an effort to um you know it was a challenge to ourselves how do we show the goal you know henderson's game you know series winning goal differently and um musically we use a track by tanya tagak the um cambridge bay uh, throat singer um you know and and and, and in, uh, an important indigenous voice in our country and we you know i wanted to also acknowledge i want to use that song to acknowledge what 72 meant to um indigenous canada yeah. and having talked to so many people about you know, watching it or listening to it in very, very remote places and about how it was the one thing, you know, that they could celebrate about Canada. And so, you know, instead of using, you know, a stock uh, track or, or, right. or you know, um, a kind of a rallying rock song, we wanted to sort of reflect the kind of tension and anxiety and excitement and joy um, through through Tanya's work, so it was really fun to be in the position of making those choices and trying to make different choices. It's great, great ideas. I'm looking forward to seeing part three, then and four. And uh, yeah, I don't. I, what is Canada's rallying rock song? I mean, it would be uh, <laughs> we, uh, we are the champions by Queen, I guess, in other countries. But uh, well. Uh, yeah, we did. I mean, we did make time for the Tragically Hips Fireworks, which is in there as well. And, nice. And um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. We'll be right back with Dave Bedini after this short message. Time once again for a Hollywood Sweet Minute with Emily Gagne. Emily, what do you have streaming for us this month? Oh, well, in September, it's all about movie soundtracks. So we're doing music and movies, you know, premieres of movies like The Harder They Come, Fun in Acapulco for the fans of Elvis that just <laughs> right. can't get enough. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of Baz Luhrmann, also the film uh, Strictly Ballroom. I don't know if you've seen that one. I have. I love that film. 
yeah it's great but there's a uh, Mamma Mia for fans of that Nashville guys and dolls any like music centric movies you can think of we've got them in September perfect what else you got uh, and then we're really excited to uh, be sort of part of National Day for Truth and Reconciliation on September 30th. And we're hosting the Canadian broadcast premiere of The Long Ride Home, which is a documentary about a group of Indigenous people that took a horseback ride across the prairies to raise awareness for Indigenous issues. Uh, it's a really compelling and really inspiring film, and we really hope you'll join us on September 30th for it. All right. That's The Long Ride Home, part of the September headlines at Hollywood Suite. Thanks, Emily. Thanks, Bill. Here he is again, author, rocker, and documentarian, Dave Bedini. There's a great scene of uh, in part two uh, where the Russians are so... Uh, they're walking along Young Street and they go into Sam the Record Man and they're like, oh my goodness, look at you could buy records and nobody's looking over our shoulders and stuff. Uh, I thought those touches were great to get that commentary into the times. So well, well, well done. Thanks. That was a gift to them, really, from their uh, management. You know, they they beat Canada seven yeah. three, and it was like not not quite a day passed, but they were they were allowed, you know, to take that trip down Young Street. And when you think about it, you know those those athletes they were able to experience something that none of their countrymen were able to even come close to experiencing. You know, they were able to walk down Young Street, man, and they were able to. You know, yeah. see that see that part of the world, and and I know about that Russian just quickly built, but I know about that that Russian escapade into Sam's because my band Reostatics did an in store at Sam's years ago, and Jason Snyderman, um, Sam's kid, yeah, uh, who programmed the live music events there, um, uh, wrote me to say that he had something special that he wanted to hang behind the band during our set. And it was a banner that the Russian team had given him for allowing the, they, they basically closed down the wow. store so the Russians go in there. So once I heard about that, I thought this is cool. So then I've since you know talked to a bunch of the players from that team who you know Yuri Blinov told me you know he was so excited he bought a Tom Jones record that <laughs> that in Soviet Russia that was that was black market buy right you could wow. not get that in the record stores so yeah that was a really big day for them and listen I think that that's interesting how I just think it informs our portrait of who they were as people oh, you know because. Yeah. Yeah, so it was important to kind of touch on those bases. But it sets it up for all of us. I mean, I remember the thrill, and I'm sure you did this too. You took the subway from Etobicoke down to Young Street, and you go to Sam's. I remember going up on a door crasher Saturday morning, going up the stairs and buying um, the Let It Be box set with the book in it for four ninety nine. You know, I mean. Amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah, right? You know? Oh, for sure. Yeah, it was all cool. Um you got some great commentary from a lot of the, I know you didn't want a lot of talking heads, but they're used very effectively. I just spoke with uh, Serge Savard. What a thrill. And uh, he, of course, is a great, wise commentator. Uh, but so many others, uh, even some of the play by play people at the time, uh, Ron McLean and others. Uh, who surprised you when you uh, went looking for comments from these folks? Yeah, um, well, I, what surprised me, I suppose, m more than anything was, you know, how how acute um, all of their memories were of, you know, of the details of, of play, um, for sure. Um, you know, uh, Peter Mahovlich, Phil Esposito, yeah. Brad Park, Red Berenson. I mean, when they were telling us the stories of of especially uh, playing in Russia um they were so vivid and you know could recall what had happened as if it was yesterday and that was cool you know they're they're they weren't reaching at all to to kind of describe how they felt you know the atmosphere especially being down 3-3-1 in games and yeah. having to be in in Soviet Russia behind the iron curtain and and what that was like so so that was that was really. I was so grateful that they were able to, to, to you know, we were that, that that we had them to rely on. You know, it's one thing to have people talk about the series; it's another thing to have people actually participate 
in it. And, yeah. and, you know, listen, it's, it's 2022 is 50 years. It, it sh- sh- should a 75th anniversary film get made. These voices aren't going to be around. So right. I think during the interview, um, I think they were conscious of the fact that this is potentially and probably the last time yeah. to really, to really, you know, tell us what it was like firsthand. So I, you know, we were all really grateful that they, they were able to, you know, um, r- rise to that because these guys have done millions of interviews in their lives. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so it was great that they, they also shared the kind of you know the, the 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 vitality and importance and weight of this endeavor that that we get it right that's for sure and i think you stuck in a few uh folks from uh, previous interviews that are no longer with us um yeah well in the doc uh was there much debate about including alan eagleson i know certainly he's a an important voice in this whole story it may not have happened without him but uh he he's sort of been cast as the villain uh over the years uh what was the discussion like when you decided to include him as a voice yeah i mean we decided i think at the end of the day that the alan eagleson story is a whole other documentary Right. So I knew that I knew that we couldn't. Well, another thing we're challenged. There's so much narrative when it comes to this story that we were already challenged to get get it, get it all in there under 44 minutes per episode. Right. And so to find the time to, 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 to really deep. To, you know, to dive deep into Al and to talk about his his life uh, post seventy two and him defrauding the players and spending time, uh, you know, behind bars for it. It was just uh, we would have compromised other aspects of the seventy two storytelling to tell that story. Um, now that said, um, Eagleson is very very sharp as well in terms of his you know, illumination of, of the series and, you know, and, 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 and the life inside the series really, right. because he's, a, he's an important figure. I mean, as part of the narrative with him, you know, getting called off by the KGB and game eight and the Canadian players rescuing him. Like he's just a part of the narrative narrative anyways. We could right. not tell those stories. Yeah. So, um, and he was a, he's a quote machine, right? So that, <laughs> as Phil, as a filmmaker, it was pretty, a, pretty, it was a gift yeah. to be able to go back to him, um, because he had thoughts about every element of the series. Well, that's for sure. Phil Esposito is not a bad uh, quote machine. No himself, kidding. Is he? Well, I'd love that's a, that'd be a great bonus track. Just that entire interview with him I was bet. an absolute ride. It was. I'll never. <laughs> I won't. I won't long forget. You know, spending those two hours with Espo locked that's, in that room talking hockey was pretty great. It must have been a dream come true for you. Congrats. That's awesome. Well, no thanks. It's an amazing series. Summit seventy two. It starts on uh, Wednesday. September the 14th, and then we'll play uh, on subsequent Wednesdays, right, David? Yep. That's uh, right. Don't miss a minute. If you saw it and lived it, don't miss it. And if you didn't, and I guess this is the thing, isn't it, that it's call- fallen to you and your other filmmakers to try to convey to this generation and or two of Canadians who weren't there, who didn't see it, why it was such a big deal. You know, like it was... Um, and, and, and was that something that you were mindful of in telling the story? I mean, listen, I've seen enough sports docs in, in my time to know that, you know, if the filmmaking is good and interesting, then I think that's the key, n- no matter what your age. Like, I think if you can really be engaged by the approach that we take to the storytelling, it's going to draw you in. And I'm confident enough that the story is interesting enough that, you know, the viewer who might not have any reference point for 72 will continue to watch. Um, you know, there's the great film about Maradona, and I don't know much about soccer, and I certainly don't know much about Italian league soccer. Right. But you just you just get into it by the kind of, just by the, by, by the, you know, the aesthetic choices that they make. And, and there, I think... Um, and I, 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 I for, I'm, I'm forgetting the director's name, but, but it's, it's a Motorino journey into Naples. That's how we get into this film. And it's like, as soon as I saw that opening, I knew I was going to watch three hours of Diego Maradona's story. And I hope that when people click on, you know, and they hear Plastic Bertrand, there's the, all the fast cutting yeah. over, you know, a montage of 72 and we get into, 
Espo talking about, you know, well, if the Russians want to get up at 7 a.m. and run around the rink, that's their problem, you know? <laughs> so there's, there's humor in there too. And so that was, that was kind of the approach. And I think, you know, as an artist, I don't think you can, can really worry about that in terms of appeal. You just want to make good art, right? So yeah, yeah I'm hoping that's the case. And I think, um, I'm also hoping it's one of those, um, uh, you know, TV, um, uh, events where, generations can be together potentially yeah. you know yeah yeah and sit around and it's also listen it's a great uh it's a great preseason. i know we're all pining for the you know uh nhl to start again so this is a nice this is nice training camp stuff right get ready and then for for the first puck drop it's perfectly situated uh leading up to uh the leafs first stanley cup win in 56 years <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> as an etobicoke Etob- lads we can only dream david but um, listen uh, thank you so much i know you've been getting requests from everywhere this series is fantastic everybody watch it and uh uh listen uh, thank you again very much for taking the time well always great to talk to you bill it's, uh, it's a real treat for me too Thanks, as always, to Phil Hong for producing this podcast. I'd also like to single out Katie Brio for designing the main Brio TV site. I'm grateful as well to all the amazing publicists for arranging these interviews. Thanks to our sponsors, and yes, thanks to you for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, please spread the word with a like or a review. And remember, you can always catch up on TV news and reviews daily at Brio.tv. I'm Bill Brio. Thanks for listening.